looks like it could, you know, continue to float, but just bring it north and then sort of refinish the insides and maybe add some electronics or something. So you're going to bring it north on its own keel then? Yeah, on, on a on a truck, ship it north. Ship it north. It, okay. It, yeah. It'd probably it'd, it'd be in outdoors, but under a under a canopy for a couple of years. What kind of boating experience do you have, Doug? Uh, none. Well, I mean, just on lakes in the Midwest. Yeah, plenty of time to learn. Yeah, 30 you know? foot's a good size to learn on. Yeah. And obviously, uh, you know, I'm guessing you've uh, read about the, the romance of the sea and just kind of aching to get out there. Uh, I, I've, well, I've been a scuba diver for, for 25 years. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time on the sea. Nice. Uh, never in my own boat. It, it's a retirement kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, one more question for you. How did you uh, come to uh, find Boat Talk and give us a call from Nebraska well, I, this I've, morning? Uh, actually, I've, I've been a member for three years. I originally found it. I Googled radio stations and reggae music, and it's the first one that came up. So I've been a pretty regular listener for three years. Huh. Excellent. Excellent. We so don't have many regular listeners. <laughs> so glad to hear from you this morning. So you, uh, you called and became a member by calling 1-800-643-6273. Yeah, because yeah. we are trying to uh, raise membership uh, subscriptions this morning as well as solicit calls. Um, Doug, we wish you all the luck with your, your dream okay. and your project there. Again, I would uh, be very careful with what boat I put how much money into sure. and have it, che- have it surveyed, have it checked out, uh, you know. That's the big thing. That's the big thing right there. Have uh, know what you're buying. You know, again, you wouldn't buy a rotten old house without really under, not understanding what its real problems are, you know. Right. Yeah, don't be, don't be afraid to take a little jackknife or an ice pick like that and poke around some of the spots that you think may be suspect. Yeah, um, some people consider it rude to stick uh, knives and ice picks into old, somebody else's, obviously owns the boat at that point, knocking on things. You can hear the difference between soft and, and uh, solid just by rapping on things, just for instance, you know. But boat surveying is its own art as well. And, again, uh, you know, buyer beware. And, man, best of luck with your dream. We'd Thanks. love to hear from you in the future and, and sure. know how it's coming and what's happening. Thanks for the advice. Yeah. Yeah, if you do find one, why don't you uh, email a picture to uh, boattalk.org and we'll post it there. Yeah. Okay, I will. All right. Anything else we can do for you this morning, Doug, or do we? Uh, oh, I think that's it. that's it for today. All Great. right. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so you, much Doug. for calling. Thank you. Yeah. We are doing Boat Talk this morning, and we're just a little bit half past it. And, uh, again, we thought we would have author James L. Nelson this morning on the phone from Harpswell, Maine. But uh, to me, this uh, interview was uh, bound to be so interesting. We were even going to throw the regular format on Boat Talk and dive right into it at the top of the hour, thinking we'd be hard-pressed to fit the whole thing into an hour. And uh, we've kind of agreed with James to save it for next month. Although at the present time, we're trying to get him on the phone and, and we'll do a, like say, we'll talk to, talk to James for a few minutes and uh, maybe set the thing up for next month. And uh, in the meantime, again, we are, you know, uh, just kind of winging boat talk this morning. There are people up on the mountain uh, trying to press the reset button on the transmitter at the present time. And we are broadcasting on the web at weru.org. Um, we have James L. Nelson on the phone this morning. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. How are you, sir? Good. I am sorry about all the transmitter well, confusions and contusions this go. morning, but high technology—that's what you get. Wow. Uh, and again, uh, aren't we so happy that uh, none of that really depends on us? We just sit here and run our mouths. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'm good at. We got the cheap, easy part. 
I went to um, the Union Historical Society last week on a uh, cold winter night and uh, saw a talk with you about your newest book, George Washington's Secret Navy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to say that was extraordinarily entertaining, and uh, you are an excellent speaker and obviously uh, quite familiar with your subject, you know. Well, I thank you. I really enjoyed that. Now, uh, you've written, what, about a dozen novels now? Uh, I've written, um, yeah, about a dozen novels, and uh, a few years ago I sort of moved from writing fiction to nonfiction. And I've done uh, four works of nonfiction. That's sort of what I'm focusing on these days. I think that's a beautiful example of, uh, if you were a corporation, that would be vertical <laughs> integration. <laughs> there you, know? you go, exactly. You uh, obviously have to do historical research to prepare to write your, your uh, excellent historical novels. And now you've turned your research into into uh, more books. Well, that's right. And that, actually, the the two really work very well together because because you're certainly right. You can't write historical fiction without doing the research, though the research the depth of research isn't nearly as much as is required for nonfiction. On the other hand, when you're writing fiction, you have to learn how to make the story move. You know, you got to keep the pages turning. And the fact is that the same is true with nonfiction. You know, it can be horribly dull. But a lot of the skills that I learned writing novels, I've been able to translate into uh, my writing of nonfiction. You know, just, you know, ways that you keep two storylines going at the same time so you can go back and forth between them and, you know, building tension and building toward the, the sort of final payoff of the book. They're all techniques that you use in fiction, but they can be used in nonfiction, too. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I love to hear most uh, from readers, and I hear it, I'm happy to say, not infrequently, is, People say, gee, you know, I, I read your book, and it, it reads just like a novel. You know, that's the idea. Well, um, history is kind of like a good joke. It's, it doesn't work unless it's got truth in it, you know? <laughs> well, exactly. And a novel yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. You said something I found uh, just, uh, I, I've been thinking about it ever since. Now, mind you, I went to a Canadian university, and I was surprised when I got there that I had to decide what to study. And I, I ended up taking biology. But the point being, while I was at this Canadian university my first year, I thought, ooh, I'll take American history. That'll be easy. <laughs> okay? It turned out to be the, the most difficult course I took this year. And the fella started the course by saying, the study of history is not so much about what happened as how the story gets told afterwards. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. But yeah. you said the other night something uh, related, but I thought just fascinating. Um, you said history is not math. That's right. Yes. Yeah. 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 I. I you know. And it. Um, it it kind of harkens back to uh, when I was in grad school, and uh, I had a, a professor that you know, just sort of off the cuff threw out this, this question: is, is is history art or science? And my first reaction, of course, well, of course, it's a science. You know, it's you know hard and fast. But then the more I thought about it, the more I studied it, the more I realized that's not exactly true because you don't have the kind of hard, fast, reproducible, you know, sort of experiments that you can have with science. Or like math, like I said in my talk, you know, math doesn't change. You can have one Pythagorean theorem, and it works fine for a thousand years. You don't have to change it. But history is different, because the only way we can understand history is through the filter of our own brains. You know, the historian and the person reading the history sort of interprets the history themselves, and that's why... We rewrite the history books for each generation because we reevaluate the history and we see it from a, 
a different point of view. You know, when you look at the history of the American Revolution that was written right after the Revolution, on the one hand, you tend to think, well, this has got to be the most accurate because it was written by people who were actually there. But it's also written by people who felt passionately about one side or the other. You know, they were still mad about it. A little too close to the subject. <laughs> exactly right, yeah. exactly. And so, uh, so, you know, now that we're 200-some-odd years out from it, uh, and we don't feel quite as passionately about it, you know, we still care very much, and we understand the importance it plays in our history, but we're not still mad at the British, for instance. So we can be a little more uh, sort of disinterested and honest about it. One of your uh, books that, that just totally uh, floored me was Benedict Arnold's Navy. I'm a Benedict Arnold's one of my heroes, yep, strange yep. enough to say. Yeah, no, I agree. Possibly like you, I grew up reading Kenneth Roberts' novels. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, Arundel, uh, Rabble in Arms, of the two that feature Benedict Arnold and his epic uh, journey up the Kennebec River to attack Quebec and then retreating down the St. Lawrence Valley and Champlain Valley. and. Yep. Uh, the naval battle of the of uh, Valcor Island, yeah. that, uh, and then the Battle of Saratoga afterwards, a total hinge point of the revolution. Absolutely. Um, excuse me for a second here. <coughs> yeah. Isn't Benedict Arnold a great example of, um, you know, somebody that really was a totally remarkable figure? We could not have done the revolution, um, you know, the way it turned out, really without him. Absolutely, yeah. But he turned yep. out to be the biggest jerk in American history. <laughs> big, you know, the his his yep. name defines traitor. Absolutely. Now, well, how to reconcile the two sure. of those in the myths that are essentially American history? You know. Sure. Well, Arnold is a perfect example of how uh, of this idea of sort of uh, revisiting history in each generation because. Certainly, when you read the histories of the Revolution written you know, in the early 1800s, Arnold is just the personification of evil. You know, everything about him is, is evil. And then I think, really, Kenneth Roberts, I think, was the first one to have the guts to say, look, you know, what Arnold did in his treason was heinous, but let's not forget what he did in those first years of the war. It was really, as you say, enormously important to the cause. Um, you know, and that's the reason that Arnold's treason was such a big deal. If he'd just been a nobody, who cares? Right. He was Benedict Arnold. I mean, this was, you know, tantamount. And again, we forget this because Arnold has been so vilified. We forget how important he was. But his becoming a traitor was really the equivalent of someone like Nathaniel Green or Henry Knox becoming a traitor. You know, he was one of the greats. And i got to say, um, after writing the book about Benedict Arnold, I certainly... Don't forgive what he did. Uh, you know, it was a heinous thing. But uh, on the other hand, I understand it. You know, I understand what drove him to it now. He was totally pissed. He was, you sure. know, he had lost his faith in the revolution. Yep. He had, he had uh, got to the point where he was disgusted, angry, and, and total contempt exactly. of well, the he people was, that were running the program. He was, Arnold was not a politician. You know, he did not have that particular skill. And he made the mistake of thinking that... To be recognized as a great military officer, all he had to do was be a great military officer, which, of course, isn't true. You know, there are a lot of other games that have to be played, and he wasn't good at playing those games. Yeah, the politics of it. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and in, in retrospect, again, we can't really tell the good parts of the Benedict Arnold story because it would just confuse people now, wouldn't it? You know? <laughs> yeah, right. God forbid. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's sort of like the Pilgrims as well. You can't tell the whole, you know, uh, the book Mayflower has come out. Yeah, David yeah. Hackett Fisher and, and really told the whole 
back and after story of, of you know the the Thanksgiving little feast there and yes. it's not very pretty and we don't appreciate or, or really tell any of that part of the story and yeah. and again them are really the interesting parts to me the contradictions yeah absolutely you no know? you're absolutely right I mean there's a sort of American myth that the pilgrims were coming here for religious freedom no they were coming here for their religious freedom they didn't want it for anyone else yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. And again, we have James L. Nelson uh, on the phone this morning from Harpswell, uh, author and historian. Uh, also, uh, I would say husband, father, and pirate, if I was trying <laughs> well, to uh, describe you. You have an alter uh, ego who is a pirate. That's right. Yeah, yeah, still good work if you can get it. Yeah, we would uh, like to talk with you more about that in... in uh, in short, though, Jim, we don't want to give away the store today, yep, you know. Um, absolutely. We'd like to talk to you for the whole hour. I would really look forward um, to that. Yeah, and we'd love to do that next month on Boat Talk, Super. which I believe is uh, April number 14th. I think that is right. Um, yeah. Jim, this is this is Alan here. Um, I have one quick question for you. It's yeah. a little bit left field here. Uh, still Revolutionary War times. So I wonder if you've ever been thinking about writing about anything that would include the turtle. Ah, uh, um... You know, I haven't, though it's a great story. It uh, is a great story. For, we should tell first what the turtle is. Why don't you go ahead and do sure, that? Sure, yeah. Well, for folks that uh, that don't know, it was actually the first uh, sort of operational uh, submarine uh, uh, built by a fellow named David Bushnell with the idea of going out and um, attaching uh, uh, bombs to the British warships. And it almost worked. Uh, it was pretty amazing, amazing story. In fact, I believe they're building a replica of that. At the, it has uh, been done. has been done and actually tested. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, no kidding. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. and uh, again, that was the Revolutionary War when there weren't a lot of submarines out there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, indeed. That's why they call it revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, was another favorite uh, uh, piece of, of history, the H, uh, the Confederate uh, vessel, the Hunley. The Hunley, yes, that's right. Yeah, yes, which actually did sink a ship in yep. the Civil War. You, one of your excellent histories is uh, concerns the Monitor and the Merrimack, right? That's right. Yeah, that was one of the first nonfiction books I I, uh, I wrote. Yeah, uh, and it's an amazing story. Just the the technological. I mean, this is, you know, this is what you'd expect when you get both sides of the war are Americans. <laughs> you know, you get this this extraordinary innovation, hmm. and you know the kind of the kind of thing that that this country's always been famous for. Yeah, I think you're. Um Man, I'm really jealous of your job, and uh, <laughs> you can't run out of material, basically speaking, can you? It'd be, no, no, it, it would be not. your fault if you did. Yeah, no, there's more good books out there than I'll ever write in a lifetime. Yeah, excellent. Um, and again, we're not going to uh, over uh, give away the store this morning. Terrific. But what are you what are you working on at the present time? If we could, uh, ask? well, I've got uh, uh, I'm doing a book, um, Revolutionary War again, which is, is my favorite, um, about the Battle of the Capes, which was the naval battle that gave the French control of the Chesapeake Bay in 1781 that allowed Washington to trap Cornwallis at Yorktown. Uh, you know, it's uh, sort of not given a lot of attention, but if that hadn't happened, uh, we never would have won at Yorktown. Yeah, Excellent. Going out the back door. Can't wait. Yeah. And again, your brand newest book is uh, called George Washington's Secret Navy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In bookstores now. Yeah. You have a website. Yep, www.jameslnelson.com. More information about me than any rational human being would ever care to care to know. Yep, I uh, mentioned to our friend Dave Evans, he is out uh, answering the phone for the ple- pledge uh, raiser this morning. Dave does the alternative energy call-in show the first Friday of the month here. Mm. 
mentioned to him that you had a sawed house, and you should have seen his face light up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we built uh, Maine's only authentic Nebraska-style sawed house, yeah. as far as we know. I don't we know if you were from Nebraska. I don't know if you were listening on the net earlier. We just had a call from a fellow named Doug in Nebraska who wants to find a wooden boat and. Uh, oh. Uh, sail it down to Florida and learn to learn to go to sea. Excellent, good for yeah. him. <laughs> so anyway, we just talked to Nebraska on the phone. It's all all related, man. <laughs> That's great. And again, an embarrassment of riches. And uh, <laughs> James L. Nelson, we uh, like I said, would uh, I think next month we'll uh, just basically chuck the format of boat talk and not waste any time. And and would love to talk to you for the whole hour. We that sounds terrific. Even scratch the surface here. Excellent. I look forward to that. Yeah. All right. Well, we can't thank you enough for, for uh, speaking with us this morning. Well, I thank and, you. Uh, thank you, James. We Absolutely. look forward to talking to we'll you next you month on Boat Talk. Yeah, we'll see you gentlemen on the 14th. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, James L. Nelson, this morning, an author, historian, and uh, something of a pirate. He's got an alter ego, uh, Black Jim Spud Cake. He oh. goes out and does talks <laughs> and stuff. And Of course, piracy is a relevant uh, subject. Nowadays, yeah, oh, yes. I, although I think it's probably a little debate as to what kind of a pirate he was. So, yeah, I think we can easily desperate uh, or cosmetic. Yeah, between the revolution and the pirates and the the rest of it, I believe we can uh, fill a very interesting hour with James Nelson. Uh, what are we doing this morning? We are doing kind of a uh, I got I got one other thing semi off the air version of boat talk. We will still take your call at any oh, time. Right. One eight six 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 two five is the number into Boat Talk, and again we, we uh, are six two five nine three seven eight. That wasn't enough numbers. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Um, also, Dave Evans is out in the kitchen, and he will take your pledge if you're willing to support such a thing. At one eight hundred six four three six two seven three is the pledge line for Boat Talk. One of our favorite compliments we get, uh, you know, and it just happened again uh, very recently is, boy, I don't know much about boats, but I like that boat talk <laughs> stuff, you know. I can't can't uh, even wait to see what they're going to talk about next. And generally, we don't even know. So, And it's hopefully one of the charms of the thing. Um, again, an embarrassment of riches. If we run out of material, we're doing it wrong, you know. So what what were you? Uh, Our friends down at Wooden Boat have put out a challenge for people who think they might be a, a boat designer of sorts. It's kind of an interesting challenge. They want to design a, a small boat that's between 16 and a half and 18 and a half feet in length overall. A boat with a, a motor, a 25 horsepower maximum motor, but it must burn less than two gallons per hour while maintaining a 15 knot cruising speed and carrying 650 pounds which is about the same as four adults. So it's a, you know, it's sort of a skiff-type boat with a motor, but they want it to be uh, uh, fuel-efficient, I guess we'll call it. I think I just read, I think it was in the Fisherman's uh, Forum, a local free uh, newspaper about the fisheries. Um, I believe I just read that there are people looking into um, super-efficient lobster boats designs. For instance, how about a hybrid engine uh, lobster boat, mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know how you could uh, recharge the batteries by using the brakes on a lobster boat, but I'm well, sure there are. There, there are, are some flat surfaces that you could have a, at least a supplemental electrical panel. Yep. And let's face it, a boat is making a lot of motion, and motion is energy, you mm -hmm. know, uh, the rocking too. of the boat. Um, it's used uh, for automatic bilge pumps, for instance, uh -huh. yeah, and little, little dinghies. Little, little sort of upside-down pendulum yeah, kind of Yeah, motion is energy. 
Um, so anyway, very interesting. Here's a well, kind I, of I should give the information for the wooden boat challenge for people who oh, yeah. are interested. Yeah. Uh, you can get the details by going to woodenboat.com/slash/design/challenge, and uh, the information right there is all the details and how you. Uh, how you can enter into this contest if you want to build the boat yourself. Also, you get a free space at the Wooden Boat Show, which is going to be coming up this summer, too. So we'll have to check that out when it comes around this summer, the Wooden Boat Challenge. Speaking of uh, learning from the mistakes of others and, and uh, you know, running blind in the fog, I call uh, running in the fog an act. I always think of Eric Clapton's uh, song, Running on Faith. You know, it's kind of an act of faith to run through the fog when you think about it. Here's a, a little article from the Associated Press, uh, nuclear submarine submarines collide in the Atlantic. Wow. What's and the a, chances of that? Yeah, well, uh, huh. it's a big ocean. Pretty well, good, huh? <laughs> how did the Andrea Doria and the Stockholm run into yeah. each other, you know? It's a surprising thing about boats that left to their own devices. They will probably, they tend to get in about as much trouble as they can. So were they on the surface or underwater? No, they were underwater. A British nuclear submarine and a French submarine hit each other. They were both damaged. Uh, they say there was no damage to the reactors or environmental catastrophe there, and they both retreated back to port, um, you know, to fix the, fix the dents. Huh. Anyway, like I say, uh, taking advantage I of the if they experience. Knew it was coming, or it was just a surprise. That must have of been others. A well, big, like, big whack. I'm again, sure. they don't run t- totally blind, so to speak. They they have, you know, their own kind of yeah. eyes and ears. Forward reading sonar. Yeah, and again, a great boat talk uh, theme about learning from the uh, experience, if not the mistakes of others. Here's another book that I just uh, been reading that has just floored me, and. Uh, we need to talk about further on boat talk. He, uh, I believe, is an MDI summer um, resident. David Hackett Fisher, he wrote the uh, book Washington's Crossing, and his newest one is called Champlain's Dream, about Samuel de Champlain. Yeah. You know, who uh, spent a lot of time on the east coast of North America. Yeah, here he, did, in he the discovered the Cadillac Mountain. Very <laughs> early days, among other things, you know. Um, Champlain Mountain as well, you know. Yeah, really. Uh, Lake Champlain named after him. Here, to me, is one of the fascinating things about Champlain. Back in 1604, I believe it was, um, they had spent the winter at St. Croix Island, which why would they have picked St. Croix Island, uh, uh, you know, experience that did not go well for them. A lot of them didn't survive the winter. Cheap rum. No, they were interested in a, in a defensible spot is what they were interested in, being able to defend themselves. That's why they picked that island. Didn't turn out to be a good idea. The next summer, he's exploring down the coast. Um, looking for another spot and really giving it the once over. He was an excellent map maker and explorer. And uh, he was also very solicitous of the of the local inhabitants, the Indians, you know, and didn't just come and start knocking them on the head and kidnapping them and shooting them and stuff. Uh, well, they you wouldn't know. speak English. Well, um, well, when the Pilgrims got here, one of the Indians said, Hey, Pilgrims, <laughs> how's it going? Welcome, you know. And that's because hey, that Indian had been kidnapped by the English taken to Europe and finally got back to America by the time the pilgrims got there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, here's the story about Champlain that I like so much. Champlain bopping down the coast in 1604, I think it was. Um, he uh, hit a rock off of uh, Mount Desert Island. I, uh, I believe it was East Bunker Ledge. And uh, got a hole in his boat and ran it ashore in Otter Cove, put it up on the beach. They fixed the hole, and then they went upon their way. They went up Somme Sound in uh, the middle of Mount Desert Island, the, f- the only fjord on the east coast of North America, there were Indians out in their canoes fishing. 
and the Indians stayed at least a musket shot away from the boat. They had met white men before. And uh, they finally got talking with Champlain. They says, hey, why don't you come and see our big chief up the big river around the corner? And they took Champlain around through the western way and up the Penobscot River to Bangor where they had a little, uh, you know, smoked some tobacco and ate some food with the Indians. And here's the cool part of the story. Champlain was, and it's a great thing when you're a boater and, and going different places, we call it local knowledge. You always want to solicit local knowledge. So Champlain talked to the Indians and says, what do you know about the lay of the land? And, of course, he had been already in and out of the St. Lawrence up to Quebec and stuff and uh, knew that area somewhat. Well, the Indians were able to tell him that if he went down the coast to the next big river and went up it, it would basically lead on a water route with some portages and stuff, would, would lead you up to the St. Lawrence River. And if you went way down the coast, there was a bigger river they were talking about the Hudson. Yeah, inside of a Long Island. Yeah, that ran up and would connect with the St. Lawrence. They they gave Champlain the lay of the land, just like I say, sitting in, in what became Bangor, Maine, and uh, talking with the Indians. Now, all the Indians didn't travel those routes, but they knew them. Mm-hmm. And by talking to the Indians, he got the lay of the land pretty much as far as the Chesapeake. Wow. Isn't that interesting, you know? Local knowledge, again, a, a really important thing. Right. When you're running around, uh, you know, especially like we tend to do in other people's boats, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, I have uh, one little uh, quick thing right before the end of the show here with just a minute left. Amazing how fast that went, wasn't it? Sails right by. Yeah. This is a little bit of bad news, though. Uh, uh, Boat Talk, through our website, we we had a... uh, a person who declared himself the official fan of Boat Talk, a boat we had. Oh, really? A, a real, yep. Why am I just hearing about this? Well, <laughs> well, it's because it's the bad news. Is this this uh, this person was sailing uh, out in the South Pacific, in a nice warm spot, there. and unfortunately, he was uh, run over by a, a, a cargo container, a great big cargo container. It was a clear case of the ship hitting the fan. Oh, my goodness. He is the punny one. And uh, whether that's an allegory or, uh, you know, a... Uh, We're sinking to new lows here on Yes, Boat Talk. well, and again, uh, Boat Talk was not exactly what we envisioned this morning. We thank uh, Doug from Nebraska and uh, James L. Nelson from down to Harpswell, Maine. Next month, I believe the second Tuesday of the month is Boat Talk, and we will be uh, devoting the whole hour to author James L. Nelson. You want to stay tuned for On the Wing? Book book that one, folks. Yeah, uh, the whole WERU day still to come here.